All right, welcome uh, to our Eve of Eve service. Um, I'm pretty sure we've done this consistently since even before we were actually a thing, uh, some in Northwest. For those of you who may be new with us tonight, um, we've been a, a community worshiping together for some time now, only formally a church for four or so years, and then only in this actual physical space uh, for a few months now. So it's really great to be able to gather like this and um, celebrate the coming of our of our Savior tonight, this Eve of Eve service. For those of you who follow um, moon cycles and nature and other strange things like that, they're a little bit foreign to me. We recently had the winter solstice. Uh, I don't really know much. Of, is that is that okay? Tom says it's not strange. It's not strange, Tom. <laughs> so I don't really follow this stuff. I happen to hear that we had the winter solstice recently, and the next day I went outside to take my dog out back. And my trees in my backyard just completely filled with birds singing. It was cacophonous. That's a word. Uh, just really loud birds singing. Uh, a little bit later, I uh, heard a flock of geese flying overhead. I thought, wow, this is really interesting. I had just heard about the winter solstice, which is the longest night of the year. And what a beautiful picture of nature coming alive the day after the longest night of the year. We have this long dark night, followed by life coming out of that darkness. Um, I'm sure some of the science in that, that uh, analogy is not right, but that is what it made me think of. We are in this long night um, of winter. Nate alluded to this in the liturgy this evening. We are in this long night, and in this long night comes a Savior, a light in the darkness. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture that God orchestrates the world this way to show us what he's like. And from these dark valleys of life, we see the stars the brightest. So we're going to go into the valley tonight with Naomi and with Ruth from the book of Ruth. And if you're familiar with the story of Ruth at all, this theme will, uh, will stick out. It's a story of waiting but not the kind of waiting that all of our kids are doing right now, waiting eagerly for Christmas morning to unwrap presents. For kids on Christ waiting for Christmas morning, there is no downside. It's only upside. There's no risk. There's no darkness. They're just waiting to open presents. Advent waiting is not like that. Advent waiting is a deep longing from a place of despair. It's more like a criminal on death row awaiting a pardon, longing for freedom, from guilt, from punishment. Advent waiting is more like a slave awaiting a liberator, dehumanized and longing for freedom, for relief, for agency. It's more like an oppressed people waiting for justice, longing for things to be made right. Advent waiting is more like a refugee longing for home, more like a father with a starving family in a famine awaiting the rain more like a destitute widow awaiting a redeemer. When Jesus came, he came as a light in a dark world. Adam and Eve had turned their back on paradise. It's impossible to describe what was lost in Eden. Perfect, intimate fellowship with God, our maker, and with each other in everything that we needed to thrive. But they turned their backs and walked out into the cold, dark world. We live in a cold, dark world. We're gathered here tonight for this Eve of Eve service, lighting candles to remind ourselves that Jesus came as a light 
into our darkness. We rejected his paradise, but God has promised a way back. And everything that happens from that moment in Genesis 3, every word, every sorrow, every victory, every story, all of it is total mercy and tenderness from God. He has promised a way back for us. We walked away, but God, at great cost to himself, has promised a way back. God made a promise he didn't have to make, a promise that he couldn't break, that he would send a savior, that the serpent would bruise his heel, but he would crush the head of the serpent, and there would be a way back to Eden. It is impossible to overstate the glory of that promise. And so the waiting of God's people is a deep longing from a place of despair. We can't fix what we lost in Eden, but it's also an expectant waiting. We're not waiting for chance or for the stars to align. We're waiting for God to make good on his word. And so it's an expectant waiting. In the story of Ruth, then, we see Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and we'll see a picture of what it means to wait under the wings of God. I had my Bible. I'll just pull it up here. Um, I'm going to read from Ruth chapter 1 if you want to turn there with me. It's pretty early in the Old Testament. Let me pray and then we'll read. Father God, God, what a mercy that you would promise to us a way back into fellowship with you, a way back into restored fellowship with one another after we turn our backs. God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to be a light, sending him into our darkness to take on flesh, to bear our sorrows and griefs and to take them to the cross so that we could have the light of hope. And God, I pray that you would impress that onto our hearts tonight from the story of Ruth, that you would help us to identify with the deep longing that your people have felt in the hope of a promise fulfilled. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Ruth 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. 
But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I'm going to start with a little bit of context. Uh, This book opens with... um, the phrase, in the days when the judges ruled. This is referring to a very specific time in the history of God's people, Israel. The days when the judges ruled. And it's a dark time in their history. After the promise in Genesis 3, God had delivered his people out of 400 years in slavery in Egypt. He delivered them up to the land that God had promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Moses died just outside the promised land, transferred leadership to Joshua. And in the book of Joshua, we see the story of God delivering his people into the land that he had promised to them and to Abraham. Israel had been waiting longingly for generations to enter this land that was promised to them, where they could dwell securely as God's people. So they're in the promised land now, in the book of Joshua, and they lived happily ever after. No. So the next book is Judges, which is what uh, this passage in Ruth is referring to. The book of Judges documents Israel's utter failure to live in this promised land the way that God had intended for them. God had brought his people to a rich land, and they had refused to live peacefully under God's rule and reign. Judges is a dark and violent book, chapter after chapter, each judge becoming more and more corrupt and violent until finally all of Israel has fallen into this corruption and is worse than the Canaanites that God had pushed out to bring his people into this land. The last 
verse of the book of Judges, which is the book right before Ruth, says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They've lost what they had in Eden. So this is the promised land that Naomi is in. Generations of waiting squandered, and now the judgment of God is heavy on Israel. They're experiencing a famine. And so Naomi's husband, Elimelech, in desperation, moves his family from the promised land to Moab. And Moab is actually just outside the promised land. You might recognize it as the place where Moses died. And if you know the story of Moses, Moses died just outside the promised land because he had not perfectly obeyed God when he was leading his people through the wilderness. And so this is the place that Elimelech takes his family during this famine. And Elimelech dies. And then more waiting for Naomi and Ruth. Ten years in Moab, waiting for the rain. And then both of Naomi's sons die. This is a long, dark night. There's no future for Naomi in Moab in this foreign land. And there's no future for Ruth back, back in Bethlehem. But then word comes that the famine has subsided and that God has brought rain to his people. And so Naomi decides to return home, battered, bitter. And she tells her daughters-in-law, just stay here. Make a life among your people. There's nothing for you back in Judah. I'll go back by myself and be miserable for the rest of my life. So they return together to Bethlehem to find that God has lifted the famine. And Naomi sends Ruth out into the fields to glean. So she sends her out. It's the time of the barley harvest. And has Ruth glean among the harvesters, picking up the scraps that they leave behind to bring something back for the two of them to share. I'm going to read from chapter 2. Starting in verse eight. So in the fields, Ruth ends up in the fields of a man named Boaz. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth has found protection and provision, help and comfort under the wings of God in Boaz. But there's more. Boaz is a kinsman, kinsman redeemer in the family of Elimelech. So God and his good laws that he gave to his people wrote that men whose brother left a widow behind ought to redeem the widow so that she would have, uh, be cared for and would be able to uh, continue the family name. And because Boaz loves God, loves God's laws, he takes up his responsibility to redeem Ruth. But before he does, there's a, there's a redeemer closer than Boaz. And so he goes to him and says, friend, will you redeem the estate of Naomi? 
Uh, the man says, yes, I'll gladly extend my portfolio and buy her land from you. And he said, okay, great, but you should know that with the land of Naomi comes a Moabite bride. And the man says, I'll gladly accept the land, but I'll have nothing to do with a Moabite bride. The same day, Boaz signs the contract and redeems Ruth, and in redeeming Ruth, redeems Boaz. I'm sorry, redeems Naomi. It's a beautiful story of grace and redemption and gives us a, great, a couple great examples of what it looks like to wait under the wings of God. Naomi, given over to desperation and bitterness, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. That's certainly true. It is hard waiting outside of Eden. And Naomi feeling this way about her situation is valid. But though she may feel abandoned by God, God is working in her waiting. She doesn't see it. She doesn't cling to it like Ruth does. But God is working. He has spread his wing over Naomi. Naomi said, I went away full, but the Lord has returned me empty. No, you left empty and God has brought you back full. Ruth, though her faith is an adopted faith, it's very much alive. Naomi's clear that the future back in Bethlehem for Ruth is hopeless. Poverty, barrenness. But Ruth, in faith, clings to Naomi. Where you go, I will go. Into poverty, I'll go. Your people will be my people. Even the hypocrites who reject foreigners, I'll go. Your God will be my God. Even the God that brought the famine, I will go. And Ruth finds refuge under the wings of God. We lost what we had in Eden, and that is a devastating reality. All of our suffering and our sorrow flows out of Genesis 3. Life outside of Eden is dark, and it is cold. It is one long night. But it was never going to be Eden. It was never going to be the promised land. It was never going to be America. It is never going to be the metaverse. We can't rebuild what we lost in Eden. It was always going to be Jesus. Let me read from Ruth chapter four. Starting in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, and a nourisher of your old age, and your daughter in law who loves you who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Ten years married in Moab, barren. Ruth clings to the God of Naomi comes to Bethlehem, marries Boaz, and God gives her Obed. Obed, the grandfather of King David, the greatest king Israel would ever see, until he wasn't, because it was never going to be David. And from David comes the better king, the promised Messiah, Jesus coming in the flesh, 
God with us, Emmanuel, was the down payment. He has already paid the price to redeem us, and he will finish the work that he began in Jesus. We are waiting in the darkness, but the light of dawn has cracked over the horizon. This is not happy birthday, Jesus. This is joy to the world. Let earth receive her king. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. We celebrate communion to remember that Jesus came and that his coming and dying on the cross in our place for our sins is the down payment that we can believe in hope and cling to God waiting under his wing because he's already paid the price and he will return to finish the work and to restore what was lost in Eden. And so we wait together under the wing of God. If you have a communion cup, um, I don't actually. Thanks, Nate. I can stall. All right, would you take with me?